so glad that you're here this morning. And we're going to now turn our attention to the scripture. We're going to start a new series as we're entering the fall here. And we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians. So if you want to get a head start and go over to 1 Corinthians with a Pew Bible, or eventually they'll also be on the screen here. Um, there's a lot of exciting things that are happening that we're going to tell you about next week. So this is our teaser for you to make sure that you're here next week as we do our fall launch. We're going to have food after the service today and after the service next week because we love food and fellowship. And there's been a lot of hard work put into it. So we just really want to encourage you, invite a friend, bring somebody, because this is a great time to on-ramp into the life of the church to uh, just get, get things started as things start uh, in the fall here. It's a great time to on-ramp again. Okay, 1 Corinthians. And really, what I want to put on your mind and heart as we go through this book of the Bible um, just taking some key passages, is the idea of wisdom. And, you know, wisdom is an important thing because based on how we view wisdom, what true wisdom is, it will result in the decisions that we make in our life. And based off of the decisions that we make in our life, we will either experience uh, life abundant or we will be in a place that we don't want to be. We will end up in dead ends, in sadness, in things that uh, we struggle with, in relationships that are hard to navigate. And so based off of whether consciously or unconsciously how we answer what is true wisdom, we will have a whole heap of things underneath it in our decision making that will really impact our lives significantly. So as we read this morning Paul's uh, words to this church who is really struggling to understand how God's wisdom is different than the wisdom that the world that they are traveling in is. Uh, may we too be able to hear God's heart to know that God does have a wisdom that goes beyond our limited understanding. And if we're willing to really hear what the scripture text says today, it will be for us good news a picture of life uh, lived well. A lens by which all decisions can be made that would ultimately leave us in the place that we want to be. So hear these words from Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? 
Where is the philosopher of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. You know, the fall is a season for new introductions. And whenever I meet new people and have to make that small chat that we all dread so much, um, there's one question that I use frequently when I meet new people, but I don't like being asked myself. And it's the question, where are you from? Because uh, I grew up uh, in a place where when I tell people where I grew up, they do a little ooh-la-la in their head. Because I uh, grew up in between Calabasas and Malibu. And so when people used to ask me uh, where I'm from, I would tell them Calabasas, because that was like a weird valley place that nobody knew about. Um, and I didn't go with the Malibu route. But now when I say Calabasas, everyone does a triple ooh-la-la and then asks me if I know the Kardashians or whatever they <laughs> want to ask me. And no, I don't know them. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's weird to uh, grow up in a place like that because, you know, my family wasn't in ultra-wealth, but I went to church, I had community, I went to school with people that did have ultra-wealth. And so as a young person, my impression of being in those kinds of communities was that people could have a lot of gifts, a lot of resources, and yet there's a way by being rich in one category, you can be totally impoverished in other categories. And really this church in Corinth is in some version of that reality where they have a lot of gifts, a lot of uh, talent, a lot of gifted preachers, uh, captivating preachers that bring the scripture and the teachings of the Old Testament alive. Uh, they have even charismatic gifts, meaning that the Holy Spirit is, is showing signs in their midst. And so they have a lot of resource they got a lot of things that when we look at them on the outside, we go, wow, that's impressive. And that is a really, really uh, sophisticated church with a lot of interesting things happen. And yet when we read this letter together, we discover that all of those gifts are not enough to keep these people from being all kinds of miserable. That it's as if because the culture and the influences of what is happening in the external world of this church, the culture of both the Jews and the Greeks, 
has slowly, over time, created a toxicity. I remember uh, being a young kid wanting my first pet. My, my daughter is in that age where she's so close asking me for a dog almost every day. Uh, but of course, when a four-year-old asks you for a dog, you usually uh, say no until you think they can take care of the dog, right? Like whenever that day is, which probably never comes, but you hope it's somewhere in the early teens or something like that. So we're hoping I can hold off for that long. But one of the concessions as a kid, if you, if you really go for it, uh, enough times maybe that you get what? A goldfish, <laughs> right? Uh, and I remember as a kid, we had this, uh, this uh, Kids for Christ party where there was a pool. And at this party, this is back in the day, a 90s church, you know, when things got a little crazy. And they put all these goldfish in this pool. And it was our job to go and swim down and catch a goldfish and bring it out. And if we caught it, that would be our pet. What a great activity, right? <laughs> So I knew that once I had got this goldfish, that there was my negotiating leverage. Like, here I am, I've been told I cannot have a pet, but I have uh, swam to the depths to get this goldfish. This goldfish is mine. Um, and so my parents let me uh, keep this goldfish. But as you can imagine, uh, this bowl went into my bedroom, and it got a name, and it got a talking to, and it became my friend at the beginning. But then, of course, it just became part of the furniture in the room. And each day, that bowl just got a little dirtier, and a little dirtier, and a little dirtier, until one day, we walked into the room, and our new friend was just belly up, right, the top of the bowl. And this picture of what it means to be in a toxic environment may be relevant for what's going on in the First Corinthians church. That in some ways, this church was headed towards being that goldfish. That it had let enough toxicity into the environment. And as we know that sometimes that uh, when things get dirty, we can even go nose blind to them, that gradually toxicity just increases to the point where things become unlivable. Now, this church isn't in that situation yet, but Paul is looking on from a distance. He's hearing the news of what's happening in this church, and he's seeing that this church needs some very serious soul surgery that it is headed to a place where a bunch of sophisticated, intelligent, gifted people may end up in total misery. And so he's teaching on wisdom, and he's trying to get this church to put on a lens that will help them to change the way they think and then how they would make decisions in the life of the church so that they can be rescued from their own toxicity. 
And I don't take something like this lightly, right? As we travel in church, one of the most dangerous and, and brutal feelings that we can feel is a church that has gone south and instead of making healthy Christian disciples somewhere along the way, it ends up hurting and wounding people. And if you've been in a wounded, a toxic church environment, you know just how devastating that can feel. And so these words are so important for the church to help the church to not get to this point, to not become like the world that is so influenced by so many influences that it can never find center, that it could never find a real definition of what is good and what is evil. And without being able to differentiate between these two things, what is darkness and what is light, over time it is inevitable that we will end up in places that we don't want to be. And so Paul gives us his teaching on how, what lens to put on. Did you catch the language? Did you see it in the text? The foolishness of God. The weakness of God. Now, when we think about God, are those the images that we think about? And there's a way by which they run contrary to other pictures that we have, right? Victory in God. The power of God. And yet, based off of who Paul's writing to and what their issues are, he may pick up on something different that's important about the cross. You see, for people that have their back against the wall, that are under-resourced, that feel like underdogs, to teach them about how victory comes through Christ's death and resurrection is a message to teach them that there's hope beyond circumstance, that God can do things that no human can do, and that being under-resourced doesn't mean that you can't be mighty in soul and spirit and strength. But if you come to a church that already has it all, that already thinks that they know the answer because they're sophisticated and well-resourced, and yet they can't get along with each other, then this lens of the foolishness of God, the weakness of God, is a way for them to think in a new way. This, the main point here from the text could be summarized this way. Prideful confidence in human wisdom is antithetical to the deepest logic of the gospel. And so when you think you got it right, when you think you have it all together, but you haven't yet put on a cross-shaped lens and looked by way of this cross that to the world is foolishness, 
you're not seeing correctly yet. Richard B. Hayes writes it this way, the shameful and powerless death of, of a crucified Messiah is the lens by which Christians must view everything. And so Paul picks up this teaching on the cross because he says, until you see through this lens as if the cross was like a kaleidoscope, that when you look through, it's the only way in which you see life in all of its color and vibrancy and meaning and purpose. And until you look through this lens, you have no real ability to determine what true wisdom looks like. As much as you want to fight about what wisdom is. This was an important teaching to this church. In fact, early uh, in this time in, in Greek uh, society, there would have been the Colosseum, but there would all have been these great philosophers, and they were popular intellectuals that would espouse wisdom. And so there's a famous story that scholars talk about of a time when a really popular speaker came and set up camp right next to the Colosseum. Was, Colosseum was all about blood and competition and glory on, uh, uh, within, within fighting. And then this philosopher came in. His whole thing was to teach people how to live, to give his wisdom. And they say that the, the Colosseum drained out so that people could go listen to this teacher. Because we have this question in our hearts, don't we? What is the right way to live? And there is a multifaceted, competitive market trying to answer that question for us. And one of the ways we might think about it is, what kind of cross would I wear? You know how there's all different kinds of crosses out there? Like, have you seen those crosses that are like gold and diamonds? <laughs> and you want to go, okay, so there's a way by which when you wear a cross with gold and diamonds, that you're kind of saying, I have enough money to buy a cross with gold and diamonds. But you're also saying that I'm kind of into Jesus too. And so it's, it's, it's confusing, it's both things. It's not one or the other, it's, it's kind of like, well, here's what I'm capable of, and then I'm into Jesus too. Or how about a cross that sometimes turns into a question mark? Where it's kind of like, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I have a lot of questions. And my questions prevent me from truly saying, even though I don't understand, I'm going the way of Jesus, the way of the cross. Maybe I don't have all the answers yet, maybe I'm free to unpack, but I have not chosen cynicism. The thing that doesn't put uh, I don't make decisions out of a question mark. I need some way to make decisions in my life that 
would lead me in a direction that is good, true, and beautiful. Or I think really what's in this text could be this. That so often we, if we wear a cross, we tuck it in, right? And we put it behind our shirt. Because much like the Corinthian world, we too will be told that we are, we are fools if we wear our cross. And we say, no, I'm choosing to go the way of Jesus. That will become a curiosity and perhaps a comment. Oh, they're one of those. And yet, the invitation here to this church from Paul is to say, you can be called foolish. You can be told by the greatest thinkers that think with human wisdom that what you're doing makes no sense. And still say, no, I'm going the way of the cross because it is the only lens by which I know how to truly live with wisdom. So my question for you this morning is, this fall, what kind of cross are you going to wear? And would you believe that if you choose to wear the cross of Jesus Christ, that when the world says that you're a fool, that actually God's power is more powerful than human wisdom. And that the foolishness of God is more powerful than all the wisdom of the world. Because it made Jesus come, put on flesh and blood, choose to serve under instead of take power over to the point where he was willing to be humiliated, embarrassed, and called a fool on a cross where people mocked him and said he was defeated. And yet, three days later, he rose again in triumph and victory and changed forever world history and that's worth representing. That's worth putting our heart, mind, and soul in. And so, like this church who needed four letters to learn this truth, may we understand in the mess and the competition that Jesus' invitation still stands to look through his lens at the world, and to trust that that's the best life that God could give. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, as we prepare for communion, 
Help us not to look our own way. Help us to look to you and your wisdom. Even in the midst of our uncertainty, even in the midst of our unknowing, Lord, there may be some of us here who just feel polluted and, and need to stop and just say, God, would you, would you get all of this out? Would you fire all my idols? Would you just get rid of all this toxicity, Lord? I want you again. I want to be made new in you again. Would you be with them now? Or maybe we do have a crossroads, Lord. Some people are standing at a crossroads and they have to pick between two good things. Lord, would you help them to see by the way of the cross, to look by the way of the cross, and would they find clarity in that next step? Or maybe this morning we just need to be reminded that the gifts, the things that we have, the resources that we have, that they are from you. And that you've entrusted them to us so that we can be glad and we don't have to cling so tightly to our responsibilities, but open-handedly we could just give it all to you and say, God, would you bless the things that are in our care so that we can join with you and learn how to give back and to love in the way that you have called us to. I pray for great wisdom to come over each and every person in this church. Lord, as we seek your face, may you bless us with the right choices to make. In your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.